Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I am your host, as usual, Andrew Baker, here with my co-host, as usual, Graham Moen. Yes, we are back because it is NBA free agency. It has come and has gone by with most of the big signings happening, and it's we have been not podcasted in so long. Yeah, so we're gonna have like a mega podcast. It's been a little bit of a lull in sports happening. We were gonna talk about the NBA draft first because we never talked about that, but. There's been a lot of stuff happening since we podcasted last, and we like a lot, a lot. We have to get through a lot of different things. So this is going to be a longer podcast. If you need to listen to it in spurts, go ahead and do that. But other than that, we're going to get into a lot of things, everything from the NBA draft all the way to every move that happened in free agency when it comes to the contenders all throughout the NBA. All right, so the Cavs have done literally nothing since the draft. So yeah. just be aware that if you're only here for Cavs content, you can listen to the first 10 minutes of this podcast and move on. Yeah. Because there's just nothing to talk about with the Cavs other than the draft, which is what we're going to talk about first. Uh, the draft at this point is probably about two weeks ago or even a little more than that. Um, so the Cavs have a draft that I think in terms of adding talent and adding players that I think could be good NBA players, I really like it. And in terms of fit, I'm not really sure about it. But I think yeah. but I think at this point in the Cavs rebuild, going pretty much just purely off of talent is really okay with me. So to review, the Cavs got Darius Garland at five, who's pretty much Colin Sexton, except maybe a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, they're both small guards that don't play a lot of defense and can shoot. Uh, they're very similar I think Garland players. can play make a little bit better than Sexton, but it, he's not well, yeah. by any means like I mean, a, a, le- a high-level playmaker. Yeah, I mean, that's – I think you or I could have a similar level of playmaking as Colin Sexton did last year. Yeah. And again, he was 19, so it's not to say Colin – we've been over Colin Sexton. You know, we'll see. But I think he's learning what the Garland, pass is. Yeah, I mean, Garland was kind of redundant with him, but I think he was – pretty clearly the best player available just in terms of pure talent at five. What was your initial reaction to it? I mean, once uh, Hunter from Virginia tech went a pick earlier and that was kind of who I wanted the Cavs to draft. It kind of made sense to draft Garland because it was either drafting him or you're going to draft Jarrett Culver who went a pick later. And it really, he really probably didn't really fit in terms of talent when it comes to Darius Garland, Darius Garland has less playing time. He didn't only played a few games at Vanderbilt. He got hurt, but he should come back. Kent State, by the way. Yeah. But he should come back, and he should have uh, a lot of his explosiveness back. He has a lot more. Um, I would say I think he has a lot more athleticism than Sexton probably does in yeah, certain areas. I would agree. Sexton's more of kind of a quick guy and a tenacious guy than he is an athletic he, guy. He reminds me more of like a Lou Williams type player, yeah. whereas I think Garland could be a starting caliber. Point He's more explosive. Yeah, I could see these two being a scoring combo, but I don't. If their long term plans are to both be together, I definitely see it more as uh, Darius Garland being the starting point guard with Sexton leading the second unit. Because I think Sexton could be a perennial 60 year man of the year candidate with his scoring ability and his ability to, if he can improve it, create f- shots for himself and create maybe create more contact and get to the free throw line. If he's able to do that, he doesn't need to pass as much. He can be our sixth man. He can be our Lou Williams or our. If you throw it back our Jamal Crawford for us, because I think he Sexton has the talent, but I think Garland has that higher upside and someone you could see being a point guard for a good team. Yeah, I mean, I I like Jarrett Culver. I think he's got a chance to be a pretty nice player. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's a little bit better of a fit for the Cavs just because he's a longer guard as opposed to another short guard. But I think that Garland has 
I would say significantly more upside. And I think when we did our draft preview podcast, you and I kind of talked about how, you know, what do you weigh? Do you weigh talent or fit or potential? What, how do you want to do it? And I pretty much said that I would just go off pure potential and, and upside because at this point in the Cavs rebuild, they're not really fitting pieces together yet. So I'm really okay with the Garland pick. And I agree with you about Sexton. I think that long-term there's a good chance that Garland's your starter and Sexton's your backup and they can play together at times. Yeah. And I mean, you know, look, the NBA is going the direction where it's more about shooting an offense than it is about anything else. And I do think that, you know, we've seen it work kind of in Portland with Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. Difference there is like Dame Lillard's like 6'3", 6'4", McCollum's like 6'4", 6'5", whereas Sexton and Garland are both like 6'2", and under. So I think if you, think if you both, had them both start, I think your offense could look really good, but you would have to compensate so much with other three positions in, in terms of defense. I think they both have the ability to play passable defense, but with, as being smaller guards, it's still going to create big problems for them yeah. going against the bigger two guards in the league. And a lot of point guards are 6'4 and above. That is kind right. of the standard for a lot of a lot of point guards in the NBA is to be 6'3", 6'4", usually, and be able to create nowadays it's not those six one guys people like chris paul are very diff- are very different and unique players are difficult to find having small point guards. yeah like well and also you know kemba those kind of players right like we said you know it, it's i don't really think worrying about who can fit with who in a starting lineup long term is the biggest concern that's not right important now. right now for yeah. the Cavs. the Cavs need to get i'm the actually pretty players. excited about garland i mean he has he's a player whose skill set has the potential to be really really exciting um, and I, I just I honestly can't wait to see what he looks like because he's so much of an unknown, you know, because like you said, he only played four plus a little bit of another college game. Whereas a lot of these guys you've seen for a full college season and Garland is kind of that just unknown. We know that he shoots well. We know that he was pretty hyped coming into the season, but we'll see how it looks, especially coming off a major injury. He could have a slow start to the year. And that's why I liked at 26 and we took Windler as a safer pick because he's a guy that, you know, is going to come in and. Pretty much, he's probably going to be able to give the Cavs inst, uh, instant minutes. He's probably going to be the guy with Garland that contributes right away out of the three guys that get drafted. I think Garland will obviously play a lot, and I think Windler actually will see a decent amount of t- floor time as well. Yeah, Windler is in the Doug McDermott kind of mold. He's a larger he, – he's kind of not athletic enough to be a forward, but he's a little too small to be a guard. Um, four-year college player, big-time shooter, also had really strong rebounding numbers. Um, but I think that Windler, he's kind of like Corver. Yeah, just based off of the consensus that I've read so far, it does seem like Windler has more athleticism than Doug McDermott did. Maybe not demonstrably so, but he's a lot better shooter off the dribble. I think Windler, you know, he's a four-year college player, and we're talking about drafting on upside. But if you can get a guy late in the first round who has big, big, big-time shooting potential, you're kind of seeing the Cavs are creating this priority on shooting because now you've got. Windler, Garland, Sexton, that's three guys who are young and part of your rebuild that are clearly good three-point shooters. He's also a more polished player, too, because he's a four-year college player. So he's more ready to come in and compete right away because they are going to need someone a little bit older, I think, to work with Garland and Sexton, even if he is a rookie himself, because he's played in college for four years, and I think that'll definitely serve serve them well because I think he could be someone along with Jetty that can really help with spacing and shooting because I think those guys could definitely give that give us that shooting from that uh, forward position from the small forward position where I think Windler will end up playing a lot as a shooting guard, small forward running off of screens, kind of taking shots. Right. And I think, you know, with his rebounding ability, I don't know, 
you know, if this could work defensively or if he is strong enough to handle it, but he could be a small ball four in some lineups because he's not just a shooter. He does have pretty good rebounding ability. And of course, you know, he's, he played in a mid major. So knowing whether or not a lot of these things are going to translate to the NBA is another subject, but yeah. I don't have any problem, even though, you know, even though he's older, by the time that Garland and Sexton are in their prime, he's still going to be in his twenties. So, so, right. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not like he's so far out of the window. And I do think that having, like you said, someone more experienced, albeit still a rookie, could be, you know, probably a positive influence. Um, what do you think about Kevin Porter Jr.? Yeah, so the Cavs years? traded back up in the first round, the last pick of the first round. They gave up four future second round picks, which is a pretty large price to pay for uh, the last pick of the first round. But a lot of them are for teams that are good now and will likely be later second round picks. So I don't have a problem with it. I mean, Kevin Porter Jr., He coming into this season, he was really hyped coming into college as well and didn't really pay off. Uh, he's had some injuries. He's had a couple suspensions. He didn't really play well at all in college at USC. But I guess the Cavs have been scouting him for for a lot of this season, and they kind of see a guy who was, I don't want to say misunderstood, but maybe a guy who just needs to have a good environment around him and could take off from there. And he is supremely talented. Um, I think anytime you can get a guy – who you're comfortable with as a person as the Cavs are and other teams are as comfortable with their talent, you know, t- for the late first round like that, you know, he fell a significant, significant way from the beginning of the season, but even in the draft, I think go- going this late for a guy who's that talented, his team's comfortable with the Cavs. He's comfortable with the Cavs due to all the, the off season scouting. I well, think what type of skills does he bring? To the Cavs. Well, that's that the thing is of right now. Like, is he a shooter? Is he? More yeah. So his skills right now. The, the number one thing that people always talk about with Porter Jr. is his ability to create his own shot. Okay. So he's not a great standstill three point shooter, but he definitely has three point range. Mostly his skill is give me the rock. Doesn't matter who's in front of me. I'm going to go get my shot. So I think again, that's four players the Cavs have drafted in the past two years with their four draft picks that can all shoot. And Garland and Porter Jr. can get their own shot. Windler can get his own shot more than your kind of standard three-point shooting guy can. And Sexton mm-hmm. last year really started to develop in that sense. I think the beginning of last year, Sexton really struggled to create his own shot. And I then think he, part of that was Kevin Love being out. True. Is yeah, that, when Kevin Love came back, it opened up the whole offense. Yeah, having that yeah. person as the fulcrum of your offense, someone that's a good passer out of that forward position is a good way to unlock a lot of these guys because a lot of these guys are – guys that can move around and create shots and they're able to create shots once they're able to move and create space. But not, some of these guys aren't guys that are, are going to take you off the dribble. Right. You're not going to see Windler take you off the dribble a lot. Porter will probably do if it. He, a if bit he does, more. if Windler does, he's more stepping back yeah. and yeah. Windler can create his three off the dribble, at least in college. Garland's probably but the only Porter, one that's going to take you off the dribble and try right. to get to the hole. Porter can. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it Porter is a real, a real unknown. I think he'll be I mean, more of a developmental guy this right. year, whereas the first two I think we'll actually see a decent amount of playing. At time. least until the deadline if the Cavs end up shipping off a couple of veterans yeah. at the deadline. Which, Wouldn't I shock mean, me to see Porter Jr. get some G League time right. with the Canton oh, Charge no, not, this year. Totally. And I, that story that I was reading about, I think it was Chris Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, some of the Cavs people in the story were saying, like, we have no idea what we're going to get. And the guy, the, the guy who worked for the Cavs basically said, like, it wouldn't shock me if he was starting midseason. It wouldn't shock me if he spent a full year in the D-League. So Porter Jr. is a real wild card. But the upside 
and the talent that late in the draft. And again, the Cavs are comfortable with him as a person more than it seems other teams were. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good upside pick, and that's where the Cavs are at right now in the rebuild. It's just go for upside, find out what happens later. Yeah. Um, anything else about the Cavs you want to talk about in terms of the draft or just the young talent in the team or what the direction looks like? I mean, I don't think – I think the Cavs is pretty much – did that was pretty much all we need to talk about. But then right – we'll, after- we'll see if the Cavs can trade J.R. Smith's contract. Yeah. I think the Cavs have out. a – you know, they kind of pushed back his guarantee date and gave him a little bit of money to make it worth his time. Um, and I do think, you know, there's a chance the Cavs can take on some long-term money uh, for JR and maybe get a future asset, which I'm, of course, all for. But, yeah, I, you know, the, rest, the draft was pretty fascinating besides the Cavs. I mean, so the Pelicans had the fourth pick they had gotten from the Lakers in the Anthony Davis trade. Mm-hmm. And there was rumors about a lot of trades with the Hawks. And they ended up making a trade. The Hawks trade up for De'Aaron, DeAndre Hunter. Good um, pick, by the way. Yeah. Graham, you can talk about him in a minute for sure. Um, so they trade up for the fourth pick of DeAndre Hunter. They took on $10 million of Solomon Hill, who, which is also an expiring contract they could potentially flip later. And they gave the Pelicans 8, 17, 35, and a potential future first that'll probably be a second. I mean – what, what was your opinions about this trade? I know you like DeAndre Hunter a lot. I thought it made sense for both teams. Um, I definitely think it was helpful for both teams because for the Hawks, it gives you a, an expiring contract that you can use. And then man B you're getting rid of picks that you're probably not going to use. Cause you're at the point now where the Hawks are probably not trying to get a bunch of different rookies on contracts. They're trying to get just a few specific ones that they're trying to get. That's, and that's what they've done the last few years since they've had the new GM, uh, heard with the uh, connections that he had with Golden State. They're trying to build a certain way. They have Travis a certain Schlank, style. Yeah. yeah, Travis Schlank. So they're trying to do that, and they get DeAndre Hunter, who is a good 3 and D player, who kind of gives me Chris Middleton vibes a little bit. I was going to say, like, you know, you've been pretty big on Hunter. I know you've kind of researched him probably more than the average person just because you like him a lot. Do you think there's a lot of upside there? Do you think he kind of – because it seems to be that maybe he doesn't have massive upside. Uh, so, I, you know, the fourth pick is – you know, maybe a guy you want to have more upside, but they're also a lot later in their rebuild, like you said, in the Cavs, where they're not hoarding talent. They're kind of looking for fit now. I but think, do you think he has that upside? I think, do you remember Wesley Matthews back when he was healthy? I think he kind of reminds me of what Wesley Matthews could be. He's a big wing. He's like 6'8". He's able to play really good defense, perimeter defense, get in people's faces, but he's also able to shoot threes really well and get around and cut. He actually does really remind me a lot of Wesley Matthews, peak Wesley Matthews before his Achilles injuries when he was on those Blazers teams and he was a really key part of those teams and those early on uh, Mavericks teams as well. So having a player like that, someone with those type of skills and that type of elite athleticism, which I think DeAndre Hunter does have can definitely be a big help next to someone like Trey young, who let's be honest, is probably not going to be a very good defender ever in his career because of his size. Yeah. So, average at absolute best. Yeah, yeah. If he's trying his butt off. So you're going to have to have someone that's a big wing defender, kind of like, what they do with Golden State, where Steph kind of has to get hidden on a player while Clay takes a lot of the responsibilities. Schlank has done those things with Golden State. He knows what it takes to win, and he's kind of building that core around him, and he's targeted those players. And I think to his credit, he's done a really good job because the Hawks look like their team that coming up pretty soon are going to be a team that's going to be pretty scary. Yeah, I think he's definitely a, a, a big-time fit there, considering a lot of the talent they have. You know, John Collins is – a four or five. He thinks he yeah, can play a little bit three John this year, Collins. but you know, we'll see. 
He's um, he's a four or five. Right. And you've got Trey Young, who's very small. They've got Kevin Herter, who's a guard, yeah. not a great defender. So, yeah, I think definitely having a bigger guard forward defending type makes a lot of sense. And he can shoot, and he does have, you know, a decent – He's super tough, too. Yeah, yeah, he's very tough. I think – I think he'll come in and at worst be an above average defender for you. And probably I mean, what's his downside? Like Damari Carroll? Uh, probably like Jay Crowder. Yeah. Jay Crowder, I'd say, was at his peak. Like Jay Crowder when he was with Boston. Yeah. Like a really good, versatile it, a defender. Useful player, that hits like 37% from three. Yeah. So I think it made sense for the Hawks, but I do like the value of the trade more for the Pelicans. I think if the Hawks scattered DeAndre Hunter and he was their guy, which at this point it seems like he was. I think that that's a trade they can make and not worry about it too much. But for the Pelicans, man, I mean, just David Griffin just turns Anthony Davis into all that he got from the Lakers. And now he's turned that into even more. So for the fourth pick, the Pelicans didn't really need a one or two guard right now. Uh, They kind of have those already. So I think that a lot of the top players that were available to the Pelicans didn't make a lot of sense for them at four. They trade down to eight and got Jackson Hayes who seems like kind of a pure upside play. He's like your classic raw, young, big man. Um, I think there's a lot of upside there, which makes sense for their team. And plus, they don't have really a center of the future right now because I think Zion's probably power forward. I mean, we all, yeah. know, we all know Zion can be a stretch five. but Zion will play a small yeah. ball five in a lineup that a lot of teams will probably try to replicate the ones from uh, the Warriors teams having a playmaking right. five and Zion can do that, but it'll depend. I think in most starting situations. Yeah. I think that's why they drafted Jackson Hayes is to be that center, that shot blocker next to Zion. Well, Zion creates. For sure. I mean, the, the defensive upside with that, those two guys is, is kind of like favors and go bear and, and that in Drew holiday. Well, yeah. And plus who they already and have Lonzo yeah. ball like that, that the yeah. team's going to be, re- big, that team's going to be really good upside. defensively. Yeah. Or at least they should be. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know how much Hayes is going to play this year, but I think that New Orleans, now that they have David Griffin, they have Alvin Gentry, who's not going anywhere. David Griffin and he are very close. Yeah. I think they've kind of have that organizational stability now to where you can bring in a guy like Jackson Hayes, who's raw, and it's the right environment for him to grow. Whereas I think if he went to a team like, I don't know, Phoenix or the, or the Knicks or Charlotte, where guys have not developed before, I think that would be not as good a pick. But I think considering, you know, what their team front office and coaching staff looks like right now, the pick definitely makes sense. Plus they got 17, which is Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I think is like, I, I really like him. He's a big playmaker, isn't he? Well, he's no, nah, he's not more of, he's, he's almost like a DeAndre Hunter type, just with a little bit less, less athleticism. He's kind of like Avery Bradley. If Avery Bradley was a little bit better playmaker and shooter, that type of player. I I just think he's kind of like a glue guy for a guard. You know what I mean? And I I think if you're trading the fourth pick for, you know, maybe some, you know, guys that are available for you don't really want, and you get eight and 17, and they got an early second round pick and a future consideration, and you dump Solomon Hill's money. It's just, it seems like every trade David Griffin makes, he wins. Yeah. And again, it, could, it would have been it, interesting to see what they would have done had they just taken DeAndre Hunter themselves. Because right. DeAndre Hunter is a shooting guard with Drew Holiday or Lonzo, and him even playing a small forward sometimes for them could sometimes be really interesting. But we well, just I think love it'll DeAndre be good Hunter. So I think he fits really well with a lot of different yeah. teams based on the skills he has. Well, so. truly, he, he's, he's a jack of all trades of a player for sure. But they also have JJ Reddick. So the next trade draft night was. <laughs> 
Okay, the next two, the most important trades of the draft, or at least the, the ones Suns. that are most notable that we're going to discuss here, is they're both Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns are not a well-run organization, <laughs> and they haven't really been good <laughs> in quite a while. And they have, you know... A they make re- the Cavs look like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, I mean, it just the Suns do Sun stuff. So the Suns traded the sixth pick to the Wolves, despite the fact that they need, like, another guard that can handle the ball to go along with Devin Booker. Um, and they drafted Cam Johnson 11. So they traded six. They got Cam Johnson and Dario Saric. Dario Saric is a nice kind of glue guy type of player. Yeah. But his contract is only up for one more year. So they're basically going to have to re-sign him as a free agent next offseason if they want to keep him. And he'll command probably 13, 14 million. Yeah, I would for sure. And they got Cam Johnson 11, who's basically the oldest player one of the oldest first-round draft picks in quite some time. He's also only pretty much a shooter, and he has some big injury history. Yeah. That's why he was low on a lot of people's boards. And they could have taken who the Wolves ended up taking their pick that they traded, which was Jarrett Culver, who is a versatile guy that yeah. is a pretty good shooter, not a great shooter, but is yeah. also versatile defensively. Well, they threw and, money at Ricky Rubio instead. You like that? Yeah. So they got. Yeah. So they could have had Jared Culver as a, someone next to Devin Booker. Well, Devin Booker ran point guard. It's basically the point yeah. guard. So and they, so now they have a guy next to him that also can't play defense. So it's just not going to help Devin Booker at I, all. I like Saric, but going from drafting, you know, one of the still very solid players available at six to drafting a guy who a lot of people were questioning whether he'd be a first round pick at all, and getting only Dario Saric for that difference, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, and what makes it even worse yeah. is they traded T.J. Warren, who is the same position as Dario Saric. He's a four who can sometimes play three or five depending on the situation and they traded a first round pick to get off of his money and he's a good player and he's a perfectly good player so that they Sarge I think is a little bit better than Warren but they're very comparable Warren's been a good scorer going back to his time at NC State yeah so they traded they traded six for 11 and then traded out of an early second round pick to dump a guy who it just doesn't it's just what the Suns do yeah and they gave a bunch of money to Ricky Rubio which Ricky Rubio's fine, but it's like, man, that just doesn't – it's just what the Suns do, you know? And If you're looking for the next star that might be upset, it might be there in Phoenix with Devin yeah, Booker. I mean, I think – The way the current NBA yeah. uh, climate is going, it wouldn't shock me if coming up soon he tries to, just, to demand LeBron a trade. LeBron just whispers in his ear, say you'll only play for the Lakers, and then he'll be a Laker, you know? I mean, they literally have nothing to give him, so. Well, I, yeah, I know. I, I'm but just yeah, saying, no. that's how things work now in the NBA, All so. All I'm saying is with the way the Suns have been doing things and the way Devin Booker has blossomed into what we think could be a potential superstar, yeah. it's something to keep an eye out for going into the season as the Phoenix Suns are probably going to be, yeah. again, missing the playoffs and being yeah. on the outside looking in. Absolutely. And, I mean, Cam Johnson's supposed to be a really good guy and a hard worker, and he's supposed to be a decent player. He's a really good shooter. Apparently. It's just it's all about value, you know, in the draft. And when you're that's why I love what the Pelicans did is because if you're looking at the draft, you're just looking at – how a player is valued for where he's drafted and what type of other compensation you got to trade. Or look at the Cavs. Just, the Cavs drafted Windler at 26, who's a really good shooter and pretty versatile. And I think Windler and to, Cam Johnson are both like older, bigger kind of guys that can shoot. And one's at 11, one's at 26. And that's what I'm saying. It's about proper value. And the yeah, Suns are a team that demonstrates consistently that. They just don't really understand about what proper value is for things. I think more players now are shooters than they have ever been. So I think there's less of a premium on every single player not being a shooter. If there's players that are going to be shoot 
if every player is going to be a shooter, it kind of decreases your value if you're not a good shooter. And that's what happened. But in this case, Cameron Johnson was a really good shooter and got drafted over someone who the Cavs waited a lot later to take and probably is going to make a similar impact. Yep, that's the point, man. It's just it's all about value. And, you know, there's other teams in the NBA that don't seem to understand that, like the Knicks, who we'll talk about later. But uh, give us one moment here, and we'll be back to talk about the outlook for contenders in the East. And we are back. So the Eastern Conference is the... I would say inferior conference, especially yeah. especially at the the high end. But there were definitely some interesting moves here. So the Celtics lost Kyrie and Al Horford, which is pretty hilarious because at least about Kyrie. Yeah, I mean they talk so much crap about the Cavs losing Kyrie, and now he's gone in Boston too. They really understand how much of a problem Kyrie really is. And they talked for like four years about how great Al Horford was and how he's the underrated player, and then they didn't want to pay him as much as they needed to. So there he goes. Yeah. They also lost Terry Rogier, who was alienated by Kyrie Irving. Um, Aaron Baines got traded, which, you know, for some Rip. Se- segments of NBA Twitter is a pretty big deal. Rip. And they got Kemba Walker. I think Kemba Walker is a lot better, you know, culture fit for them than yeah. Kyrie would have been. And I think he's also a little bit better on the court. He probably fits Brad Stevens' scheme a lot better yeah. because he moves the ball a lot more. And he's also just a lot more of a pat. He likes to pass the ball in terms of like moving it in offense, opposed to playing ISO. He can if he needs to, and he did that for a long time in Charlotte, just because he was really the only good offensive player they had on their roster. So he knows how to be ISO. He knows how to do clutch. He's made a lot of clutch shots in his career, going all the way back to those crazy games for Connecticut, all the way through the NBA until now. So we know he can make it the shots. He is getting a little bit older. He has had some injury issues, but every point guard starts to get a little bit hurt as they get older and. Kemba's right in his prime right now, and hopefully he can keep doing what he did last year for the uh, Hornets, which was have a really good all-NBA performance for for that team, which is why he got such a full max deal. Yeah, I mean, swapping Kemba in for Kyrie will definitely make the team happier. Yeah. Um, The question is, does it kind of begin to cap their upside? Because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have not, necessarily shown superstar potential. I know that some people think, I guess I think t- it depends on Tatum, Tatum has, I guess, but they still have Gordon Hayward who it remains to be seen how well he'll play in his second yeah. season off the major injury. I mean, he was really good for the last part of the season yeah. and then he just fell apart again. Do you see championship upside right now in Boston? Um, I think a lot of things would have to go in the, in the right direction. I think Hayward would have to get back to what he was with the jazz, which I don't know if he ever will again. Yeah. I think that, Jason Tatum would have to take that next step to being like a 20 point a game scorer. And I think Jalen Brown would have to accept that he's probably not going to be a 18 to 20 point a game scorer. He's probably going to be more of a 14 to 15 point a game scorer At that best. plays really good defense and is able to make timely threes. I think he has, I think that's the biggest problem right now is trying to figure out where these young guys fit into the core of this team. And what, cause they're coming up at the end of their contracts. Jalen Brown got drafted before Jason Tatum. So they're coming up on contracts. They're going to figure out whether Jason, Tatum and Jalen Brown are worth keeping together or who they have to pick over the other. Yeah, I think this goes to show that, you know, a lot of NBA teams start these rebuilds over with tons of assets, young players, draft capital, cap space, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Boston is kind of an example of that doesn't guarantee you anything because you have to pick the right times and the right players to cash the assets in with. And they cash some assets in for Kyrie and it didn't end up getting them anywhere, really. That's like if you saved up a lot of money for a lot of years to go on a vacation, a really nice vacation. And it rained the whole time. And then you, or and then you pick the worst vacation out of the one that everyone else thought you were going to pick. Right. And then 
you know, and you're like, oh, having to, okay. having to get rid of Horford is, you know, it's it's unfortunate for them. Yeah, they, they lost him, in, which I understand because they didn't want to pay him. He's 33, his age, and they're into his age, 36 yeah, and 37 exactly. years. So, but at the same time, he is was a big fulcrum of their offense and their defense. So well, he's going to be lost, a big miss. They've lost another young asset in Rozier, and they've just signed Kemba Walker. But you know, they still have some additional young assets, but they're kind of running out. And I think it's like you said. Whether or not they can title contend kind of depends on whether Jason Tatum, especially, but also Jalen Walker can kind of become star Jaylen level players. Jalen Brown. Brown, yeah. It's a Jalen Walker play for Jalen Walker of Kent State, who got suspended for the last couple games of the year and had a terrible second half, but also yeah. had a historic first half, so good for he him. Did. Um, the Brooklyn Nets are one of the big, big winners. They're probably the story of the East. Yeah, it's for like, sure. If not the main story, one of the one of the big stories because I mean, they got two of the best, arguably ten best players in the league when fully healthy. Eh, I don't think Kyrie. Kyrie's close. He's up there. Kyrie's Durant was arguably the best player in the NBA the last two seasons. And Kyrie's probably in that argument for top three point guard in the NBA, like on a consistent. I basis. think Kyrie's a guy who, if you're a contending team, he can take you over the top. But if he you're can not, be, but if elite. you're not, but if you're not contending, he's a headache. Yeah, he's an elite second scorer on a team that's contending. Yeah, agreed. Like if you have someone that can carry the load or even have someone that's just a really good ball creator and can score as a second scorer. He can be that elite score. You know, it would be really amazing if, you know, Kyrie had played with, we get to see what it looks like now, but if Kyrie had played with a kind of small forward, power forward, generational type of player, I mean, that could have been amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he could win a championship out of it or anything. Yeah. It's not like if he did win a championship with that type of player, he'd want to stay and win another one. But you know, he was a lot happier in Boston getting kicked out of the first, second round and throwing tantrums. Anyways. They're probably a better ownership now. So the Brooklyn Nets, I think, are a big winner in this. And I think they've kind of shown that culture is starting to matter more to NBA players. Yeah. Because, look, the Knicks didn't get these guys. And that's because the Knicks are a clown show. And yeah, they don't trust ownership. And Brooklyn has kind of snatched the title of New York's most important team from the Knicks. And I don't – I think there's still a lot more Knicks fans in New York than there are – Nets fans, and I think that's going to be the case for a long time yet. But you know, this is massive, massive stuff here for the Nets to get yeah. Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And they're not going to contend this season. They lost Angela Russell to get these guys. And Durant's out for the year because of the Achilles. Right. And so I think this year, you know, Kyrie is going into a situation with a lot of young players again. And I think he chose this team and it's where he wants to be. And there's a little bit better organizational culture maybe than in Boston. But – the still, good news is we still have to see how it works. Yeah, the good news is he isn't going to be in a place where there's no scoring next to him because Karis Lever and Spencer Dinwiddie can both put up 15 to 18 points a game. Yeah, if Kyrie shares the to. rock. Yeah, I mean, he's going to ha- if he wants to actually have that opportunity of making a decent noise this year's playoffs, I think he'll have to do that because I think yeah. those two guys are talented enough and they can play all three of those guys together at times if they want to. Yeah, or they can put get one of the, one of those guys out there to run point while Kyrie runs off the ball, and then you have like a Joe Harris being able to shoot threes. They have a lot of good options on that net. They team. still have some good role players for sure, yeah. and I think this window on top of that elite center tandem when it comes to defensive potential. Because if DeAndre Jordan actually cares on defense, unlike he had the last couple of years playing on subpar teams, I think he could be a really good option for second units while Jared Allen has just kept ascending as being the next young big big man that's really going to command a lot of attention. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have paid DeAndre Jordan what they paid him, except for the fact Especially that... Especially because they're going to have to pay Jared Allen. Except for the fact that Kyrie and Durant wanted Jordan included. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I guess we're giving DeAndre Jordan four, four years, years 40. Yeah, if they would have yeah. given him three years, I would have gotten it. Four years is where it was kind of Well, weird. the Nets will have a window starting next year 
Uh, and Durant is getting older. He's coming off Achilles. But the, I think the Nets have clear championship upside if Durant's healthy next year or even yeah. the tail end of this year. But it's probably too early. No, he won't be back this year. The Indiana nice. Pacers are one of those teams that just has a lot of good players. Yeah. And I think – so they, they've added some players. But to, to have the flexibility to add these players, they lost Boyan Bogdanovich to free agency to the Jazz. And Bogdanovich – you know, he was a really good player, and he carried their offense in the playoffs when um, – He has no Oladipo. Yeah, with, when Oladipo was hurt. And I think losing him definitely hurts. Um, he was really developing into a, a really – maybe not star-level player, but just below-that-level player. Yeah. And I think they, they lost Tyreek Evans because he was suspended or kicked out of the NBA. And they lost Darren Collison because he wanted to be more involved in life as a Jehovah's Witness. And if that's not the most hilarious way to create cap space, having so a guy the, kicked out of the NBA and having a guy become a Jehovah's Witness, then I, I've never heard something more ridiculous than that. But it's able, true. It's why they were able to do a sign and trade from Malcolm Brogdon and create one of the, one of the young and up and coming backcourts in the NBA with Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo, which yeah, well, is gonna, could be deadly. We'll talk about this later, but Brogdon's one of your favorite contracts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is definitely someone that fits with. Old Depot so well because they're both versatile defensively. They're both able to create their own shots. They're both able to shoot from three. They can get to the line and shoot well effectively. So I think it'll definitely be a way for them to both score. I think both of them could potentially put up 20 plus points a game. I think I'm very high on Brogdon. And I think we all have seen what Old Depot can do. Yeah. For Brogdon? Around that. Oh, man. He's pretty good. And they don't really have anyone else to score. So, I mean, it's going to come up down to Oladipo and Brogdon for the most part. They got Jeremy Lamb and TJ McConnell on decent contracts. And those will be like. good bench scores. And they also got um, TJ Warren. So, yeah. they've now got TJ McConnell, TJ Warren, and TJ Leaf. So, yeah, it'll be up to Nate McMillan to see how they. Triple TJs, baby. <laughs> it'll be up to Nick, Nate McMillan to see how this stuff goes forward. Triple TJs. Um, I think the, the Pacers' upside is capped at a team that probably makes a surprise conference finals run, but they're a really good team. Um, the Heat, so Jimmy Butler has been talking about how he wants to play for a contender, wants to play with our superstars, and he ends up going to the Heat that have, like, no superstars and a bunch of bad contracts. But I think it makes sense you because – Justice Winslow. Okay. <laughs> I think organizationally, the culture there makes a lot of sense for him. It's a hardworking culture. It's no-nonsense culture. That's what Jimmy Butler wants, and also he will be the man of Miami. I think. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense in that in that sense. I don't think that they're going necessarily anywhere huge as a team, but it does lift their upside from where they were before. No, I definitely agree. I mean, Miami's it'll at least make give them some notoriety because Miami likes the stars. They've always been drawn to it. People will want to come play with Jimmy Butler, and I think there's a chance they could get a second guy. And right now, there's not really a lot of teams that have a big three. In the NBA, there's a lot of tr- duos with a lot of strong teams that are trying to build around depth of players as they, the meta of the NBA starts to change a little bit. So I think my, for Miami, they're, maybe they're thinking a little bit further ahead. I mean, they had to give up Richardson, which was a really good contract, and he can end up being a really good player, potential all-star level player, according to a lot of people. They traded another first-round pick just because it's what they do. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just kind of like, eh, it's whatever. We'll get Jimmy Butler and we'll figure out the rest later. Yeah, so. I mean, I think – I think ultimately with the Heat, you're looking at a team that was capped out pretty much. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of flexibility going forward, and I think they were pretty much trapped as like a 7-8-9 situation. And I think bringing in Jimmy Butler does add some upside for them. It pretty much guarantees that if he's healthy, they're in the playoffs. And also, I think maybe they could add another star at some point 
in the future uh, if they can figure out one that wants to commit with Russell Martin. Westbrook. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense for the Heat. You know, I, I the Richardson contract is a great one, and giving them their first round pick is a little bit unfortunate. But they also got rid of Hassan Whiteside's massive amount of money he's owed. So yeah. it, it just raises their upside because they were a team that didn't have any, and now they have some. I don't think it's conference finals upside. I think it's probably second round upside, but it's better than before. And if they're already capped out going forward, then I guess screw it, right? Yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks were last year's best team in the East, at least in the regular season. Um, obviously, the Bucks really struggled in the playoffs uh, against Toronto, the eventual NBA champions. Yeah. They lost four in a row after being up two. I think the problem with the Bucks is they are reaching a situation that is similar to what the Cavs faced the first time LeBron was here, where you have to just keep re-signing your guys because you know you don't have added flexibility going forward. You have to pretty much just keep guys or you're not going to be able to spend the money. And they signed Chris Middleton to a massive deal, which I, I don't think they had a choice. They re-signed Brooke Lopez to a pretty big deal, which again, I think they had to do it. They did get some nice role players. They got Robin Lopez. They've got, yeah, they got the Lopez brothers. They've got the Lopez brothers, which is – Honestly, awesome, and I want Brooke to grow his afro back out. I think they should just switch jerseys throughout the game. Yeah. Be like, all right, you want to go in there. Right. Mess with the coach. Uh, One of them gets five fouls and like, I just switched the jerseys. (laughs) Um, I guess (laughs) it would be be Brooke they'd have to do because, you know, Robin. They have to get the same – just get the same facial hair and everything. Uh, They also got – they brought back George Hill on a somewhat reasonable contract, and they signed Wes Matthews, which is a good role player. But they lost Brogdon, and they lost Nikola Mirotic, who went back to Europe. Um, yeah, he's not in Barcelona. And, I, you know, it's – I think re-signing Middleton and Lopez is what they had to do. And, you know, other, other Lopez and Wes Matthews are nice role players. But losing Brogdon hurts because they're – you know, he was, you know, in the playoffs, like you said last year, their second creator. Yeah. And it's just going forward, Giannis is going to be a free agent in two years. What – if they keep making moves like this where they're kind of overpaying for their own guys, eventually, you know, the team's just not going to have that much upside. Yeah. I think a trio of – instead of having Bledsoe being paid, I think a trio of Brogdon, Middleton, and Giannis would have been enough for a lot of teams with good role players to get them probably through and be a championship contender. But because they paid because they paid Bledsoe and they got themselves in that contract situation – it made it really difficult because they just kind of had to stick with that contract and not be able to shell out a four-year, $85 million contract for Brogdon, which I've mentioned is a really good contract for the type of player he is because Malcolm Brogdon is a player that is going to be able to create off-ball. He's going to be able to be a point guard for the team, and he's going to be able to create shots for himself and for the other players. He's going to play good defensively and be versatile at the guard positions, and I think he's just going to be someone that you know, you can really depend on when uh, it gets later into the season and especially in the playoffs. He's someone that could play a lot of crunch time minutes for you and overall just be a good option for you, and that's a big loss for them. I don't love the Bledsoe contract either. Early last season, he was having an incredible year, and he looked like the guy that was the upside that people always thought he had, but I would probably rather pay Brockton too, and that's just the situation the Bucks are in as a team right now. Is you know they have they cannot afford to let guys go because they're in a title contention window yeah, with Giannis. They, make, they can't make it so Giannis just wants to leave. But if, if they didn't sign Middleton, then they, yeah. Giannis would definitely probably be like, all right, well I'm going to leave. But what options do they really have going forward to kind of you know change their roster around? They're going to have to get really creative because they're already out of a couple first round. Yeah, they're going to have to do some sign and trades. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. It's a tough situation for Milwaukee because they did what they had to do, and I still think they're one of the very top title-contending teams in the East this year. But going forward, the path for them to get better is is kind of rough. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they're they're very close to their ceiling if they're not already there. Right, and I don't know if that's it all ceiling, depends on the six. It all depends on like, how Giannis improves his game. Can they win a title with this team? Yeah, if Giannis they, can improve, they probably his shooting, can, but a lot would have to go right. Yeah. For me Especially personally, with all the stars moving around. I think it's just if Giannis can develop a consistent jumper and Chris Middleton can play well and another young player develops, then they, they'll have a chance. Yeah, that's just the the young player thing. There's just not a lot of guys there, you know? Yeah. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers are a, a, fa- a fascinating team. What a loaded started five now. Yeah, I mean, so they had Butler and... Tobias Harris, they traded big hauls for. Yeah. And, you know, coming into the offseason, it's like if they don't re-sign one of those guys, they've traded all those assets for a rental for a team whose best players are like 23 years old. And they got knocked out in the second round, yeah. Yeah, and that's not great. So they ended up re-signing Harris, and they traded Butler for Josh Richardson, and they lost JJ Redick, who was a big part of their offense, considering how little shooting they have. Yeah, he averaged like nearly like eighteen points a game for them. And they also added Al Horford, who is thirty three and getting older, and they're paying a lot of money too. Still a good player, but yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a rough contract after those first couple years. Probably this is an expensive team. Yeah, but if you look at their starting lineup: Simmons, Richardson, Harris, Horford, Embiid. It's a massive B. Tough as hell. C, really good defensively. Yeah. And they're going to be an absolute pain to play against. They're just going to be tough. They just don't have a lot of shooting, which is still the, the, their, their biggest problem is that they right. have not had shooting. They have a couple decent role players on their bench, like Mike Scott, for example. Um, but they don't have great depth, that's for sure. And yeah, I mean, they, they don't have it. a lot of flexibility going forward at all. But if I had to pick one team to make it to the finals out of the East right now, that's probably where I'd go. Yeah, it's probably between them and Philly. Or between not. It's between Philly and uh, Milwaukee just because of yeah. uh, the star potential they have in those teams. It really just depends on the stars. It depends on two stars developing a jumper. If Ben Simmons gets a decent jumper, I think that's really what's separating them from being a potential title contender. Do you think Philly made the right choices in the offseason? Uh, I mean, I would have kept Butler over Tobias Harris because I think he's a more impactful player and I think he's able to handle the ball in more pressure, pressured situations. But we're going to see Tobias Harris have to do it now. And he got paid five years, 180, whereas Butler is a little bit older. But he's someone that's a lot more proven, is someone that is not afraid to take those shots. It can make them at a pretty decent clip and is also still good defensively. But he has injury issues. He's a little bit older. Tobias Harris, we don't know how good he can be because he's had times where he looked great and times where he looked a little passive and was missing his shots like when he was with Philly. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I didn't like I didn't like the Redick left because I think that takes shooting away from them. But – Richardson's really good, versatile ball handler. Horford will help their defense and also make it so MB doesn't have to play so many minutes. So I think Philly's going to be a good team, but I think there's there's a very clear ceiling that they did by doing this trade, and I think Butler was would have made a higher ceiling for them. Yeah, I think if Butler had already decided to go to Miami, I think that you could do a lot worse than getting Richardson for him. Yeah. I think Horford's a pretty good fit next to Embiid and also – able to play a lot of center when Embiid's not out there. Yeah. So you can really rest Embiid more. 
You know, I think Ben Simmons is still a major question here because if Ben Simmons still can't shoot at all, they're going to give him the backs. That's that's a hard Horf- pass. Horford has shown that he's more of a mid range guy than a three guy that he can shoot threes to a degree. To in the corners mostly. Right. Yeah. Embiid is a post guy. Embiid can shoot threes, but it's not where you want him. Yeah, he's not like a thirty percent. Harris and Richardson are both good three point shooters, with help, which helps for sure. But I do think this, it's going to be a little tight on the offensive end for them to create space sometimes. That said, just. Big time talent on paper. They have the yeah. most talented starting five in the in the East. For Maybe sure. in the NBA, start, starting five wise. Yeah, it's definitely up there. With the I mean, if, who's their worst starter right now? Josh Richardson or Al Horford. That's not bad. Yeah, or, or Ben Simmons. I don't know if you want to look at Ben Simmons as their worst starter. You know. Yeah. Kind of a convoluted question. We'll see how they fit together, but talent wise, I would agree they're they're up there. Yeah. Um, the Toronto Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard. They lost Danny Green. Yeah. They've only added day. kind of some small salaries, and they haven't really torn up their core at all. They've got Kyle Lowry on an expiring. They've got Pascal Siakam. They've got Fred Van Vliet. Those are their two young players. Serge is coming up. Yeah. Marcus is coming Mar- up. Yeah. So so now they're kind of a team that I don't want to say it lacks a direction because Masai Ujiri is there, and I trust in Masai Ujiri. But they kind of have like, you know, the, the younger guys and the older guys, they don't have Kawhi to kind of be that middle guy who's like, oh, we can win a title with this team. Now they're merely, I would say, a solid playoff team. Yeah, I think it, I think that they're going to have this year and they're just going to kind of have let the, those older players play out those contracts and maybe trade some of them along the way if things start going south during the season. Like if a team needs a Marcus Gasol or a Serge Ibaka, they might trade those things as it goes along or trade Kyle Lowry, but... I think the young players we've seen with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and a lot of these guys, those are going to be the future players on this team, the future young players on this team that are going to determine where Toronto goes for the next five to seven years. So yep. we, you have to see what Pascal Siakam is going to be able to do as a lead in the leading role and then be able to build around him accordingly because they're going to have a lot of money in cap space. And Toronto's has a, a big market. B, it has a really good international market, and that could make a very big destination for potentially Giannis because yeah. Giannis being Greek and being from a different area, Toronto could be a very big and appealing place to It's him. a lot more international than Milwaukee, that's for sure. Yeah. I think Toronto Toronto's going to be a big player in a lot of things, and if the way they play this next year or two, whether it's, just, whether it's Giannis or another player, could really be a big difference. And if they can get another player, maybe not to take just that swing, but then to stay there for the long term. Yeah, I still think they're a playoff team. I agree, because um, I think the rest I, of that team is still very talented. Right. And I think... And Nick Nurse is a good coach. I think they have one year of kind of a victory lap where you get to have... Yeah, they're the defending champs. You get to have Lowry, you get to have Gasol, Ibaka, guys like that who are probably going to be gone after the year. Or at least not there long term. Kawhi will get to play against them once, and right. he'll get the standing ovation in right. Toronto. But they also, you know, still have, like you said, a lot of flexibility. Where they've got Siakam and Van Vliet, and they've got an, a good market. So I'd say they're really they're a fascinating pay, team, team moving forward. They're going to have to just pay Ananobi, Van Vliet, and Siakam. Other than that, they're, and they'll still have max space. Other than that, they'll have a lot of space yeah. because they're going to get rid of a lot of contracts coming up here soon with Ibaka and Gasol pretty much counting towards like almost fifty million. I think it'll be so interesting like to see Siakam as a clear number one. Yeah, see, be, see his continued growth. I think if his development as a shot continues to get there, which we saw at times he could have mm-hmm. when he was on in the playoffs with his shot, he yep. was pretty much unstoppable to beat. He actually it seems like he has a cleaner jump shot than uh, Giannis even does. And he, oh, for sure. But he, and he wins. And I'm not saying he's as good as Giannis, but he wins in similar ways. 
to way Giannis wins, whereas he gets to the rim and he's able to, once he gets to the rim, he's able to create a lot of separation for himself and get to the hole at ease and create foul opportunities. He's not as elite at it as Giannis, but I definitely see similarities in their if, game. Yeah, if I was Giannis, I'd sign with Toronto. I would just do it. I mean, that'd be a it's crazy two years, It's two years from now, so if who it's knows. Siakam but, and Siakam yeah. and Giannis on the same team. And this be- is the thing with the Bucs is the Bucs are title contenders right now, but we're already talking about Giannis leaving because they don't have the ability to make more moves. And th- well, they pitch and held themselves. I think even if they had been able to just sign Brogdon as an asset, that could have been an asset they could have used to maybe get that third star. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it for contenders in the East. A couple other teams we want to talk about just briefly, mostly just to harass them for being dumb. Um, first of all, the Knicks. <laughs> the Knicks have it just an insane amount of like fours and fives now. Um, and it just – Josh Gibson's getting $10 million a year to be a coach. Yeah, literally. I mean, they missed out on all the top free agents, and so I understand signing so some. So they got all the bottom ones. Right. I understand signing some guys, Smart. especially if there's team options in after two years for a lot of these guys when a lot of free agents will be around. But look, the Knicks are a clown show because of their owner, James Dolan. They're an organization that play, people don't want to play for. And this is what this offseason signifies for them is they didn't get anybody, and they made a bunch of, you know, on – Individually, not bad signings, but collectively, it makes no freaking sense at all. And the Knicks suck, and they're going to suck, and they're going to keep sucking. And they don't make smart choices, and this is why. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah, that's all you have to say. I mean, really, I kind of just ranted it all, I guess. But the Hornets signed Terry Rozier. <laughs> they lost Kimba Walker. Yeah, I don't – the contract so they, is whatever. They gave Terry Rozier but, more money than they ever gave Kimba Walker. But Kemba Walker left, so they gave yeah. it more money than they ever gave Kemba Walker to sign a point guard that's many that's probably several tiers below him. Well, and they offered Kemba Walker like 170 million, which is 30 more than he got from Boston. But they didn't offer him the full max he could have gotten. I think moving on from Kemba was a smart thing for Charlotte. I think it was the hard thing to do because I think he had kind of a lot of people there had envisioned Kemba as as being, you know, a uh, a uh, uh, a Hornet for life well, and a retired jersey type of guy, but they just weren't going anywhere. They're capped as like a seven or eight seat. They don't have good players and they pay a lot of players a lot of money. That, well, it's because it came down to those mistakes the yeah. pay Nicholas Batum's and the Michael K. Gilchrist failed experiments and all the failed drafts. Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky. There's just yeah. a, a laundry list of guys that didn't turn out that great. And one of the guys that's actually pretty solid, Jeremy Lamb, just left anyway. So it's like yeah. some of those assets know. could have been turned into players. And that money that they used on players like Batum could have been used for players to build around yeah. Kemba because they didn't do that. They had to rip, they had to lose Kemba, and that's just kind of how it went. I think losing Kemba is the best thing for them long term. But when they signed Rozier to remain relevant ish, I mean, I guess they could. Well, be, I don't think they could be. He'll get his but. he'll get his number retired up from the rafters there. Probably uh, the Terry Rozier thing is just I don't know what the point is for them because they're not going anywhere. I think they should just be bad. Kind of like I the guess, Magic paying New- I guess he's kind of Chivik 25 mil. Kind of, except at least the Magic are a playoff team. <sighs> but, you know, I guess Rozier's like a placeholder point guard, but $19 million a year is a lot for a placeholder point guard. Vucevic is getting paid 25 mil to be, what, a maybe middle-tier center? He was really good last year, to be fair. But, yeah, the Magic are another one of those teams where it's kind of just like, you know, they're paying a lot of money for a team that's not really going anywhere. Almost like the Heat, except they don't have Jimmy Butler, you know? Yeah. Vucevic was really, really good last year. He was, but he's not and a very good defensive player. He's no, and an offensive they have – Aaron Gordon is still solid, and they, they still have absolutely no point guards. But – What do you mean? They have Markel Fultz. Yeah. 
and DJ Augustine and uh, Michael Carter Williams. For practice and everything. Michael Carter Williams. DJ Augustine. It's an exciting group. Nice thing with the Magic. But see, the Magic has been so bad for so long. Now that they make the playoffs, it's almost like they can't just tell their fans, well, we're just not going to pay to keep the guys together. You know what I mean? Because they don't have a lot of assets to rebuild yeah. right now, so I guess they might as well just – it's just individually the contracts aren't great for the Magic. Not you know? an exciting prospects. Not at all. All right, we'll be back after this break to talk about the arguably more exciting Western Conference. <laughs> and we are back to talk about the Western Conference, where I would argue that more of the true title contenders play. Yeah, that's um, true. So there's been a lot of movement out West, uh, like a lot. So yeah. alphabetic order, we have Denver Nuggets, Golden State, Houston, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Thunder, and the Blazers, yeah. and the Jazz. That's nine teams. Not all of those are necessarily contenders, but there are te- they are teams where kind of major moves have happened. Um, so we'll start with the Denver Nuggets. Pretty much, mostly a status quo offseason for the Nuggets. They yeah they re-signed, gave Jamal Murray a lot of money. They re-signed Jamal Murray to the max, which again it's one of those ones where I don't know what choice they really had. It's like thirty one million a year. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, they picked up Paul Millsap's option for one season. Instead of trying to rework his deal or, you know, find another player, and they traded a, a late first round pick, presumably for Jeremy Grant from the Thunder. You know, pretty status quo for Denver. I like the Jeremy Grant addition. I think he fits in really well there. And they'll still have flexibility next summer if uh, they want to when Millsap's option is up, and they can uh, bring someone in. And then if they want to bring Millsap back, renegotiate in a lower number. So, so they can do that with Golden State's super team broken up. You consider Denver to be a legit finals contender? Yes, because yep. they have one of the best 10 players in the league, which is Nikola Jokic, who they have him, they have Jamal Murray, who looks like he can be a, one of the best three players on a title contending team. They just need, they have an opportunity to make a trade. They could trade Gary Harris and and Michael Porter Jr. if they wanted to, and a pick and potentially get someone like maybe a Bradley Beal, or like I said earlier, if Devin Booker maybe gets... Uh, and maybe if Devin Booker decides he wants to leave, that could be a thing where you could do that. So there's things to happen that could make the Nuggets and put them over the top. And like I said, Millsap's option after this year, they can pay him with less money so they can have more options. But Denver is going to be one of the best teams in the West this year. I don't think there's really any question about it. Yeah, I mean, I think they have a chance to be the one seed and have the best regular season of anybody in the West. Yeah, they're just such a good team. They are. I And they're deep, too. I don't think they are one of my top two or maybe even three teams to make the finals. And it almost feels wrong saying that because I like the Nuggets a lot, and they are a really good team. They're deep. They're versatile. They're well-coached. They have high-end talent. I just feel like they're a little bit of star power short uh, in, the, in the playoffs, potentially. But, of course – you know, that assumes that all the star players for the team they're playing are fully healthy. Because if a team has any weakness, I definitely think Denver can get there. Um, the Golden State Warriors lost Kevin Durant, as we all know. Thank they you. also lost Sean Livingston or cut him. They rather. waived him, yeah. And they also traded a first-round pick to get rid of Andre Iguodala, which is kind of shocking to me uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, you know, he's been at the very center of that organization culturally and also on the court and he is getting older, but he was getting paid, I would say a reasonable amount of money. Yeah. It wasn't. And over the top. 
I think he has value for other contenders. So I was pretty surprised they had to trade a first-round pick just to dump him. Yeah, he'll, he'll either get traded or he'll get bought out. Yeah, I I don't love that Iguodala move for them. And also, I think he had made some comments about how they were pushing players to come back from injury early, and I guess the organization didn't like that. But I don't know, man. Um, obviously, Golden State has fallen a long way very fast, losing Durant and having Clay Thompson out for the majority of the year. Yeah. But they did rebound, I think. They signed Clay to the max anyways, which is a no-brainer. They got D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, and the which sign and trade. Basically. It was not really rumored at all. It was pretty much a last second thing that just kind of popped up. I mean, what do you? What's your opinion about you know his fit there? I mean, he doesn't really fit with them at all. I mean, he's another guard that really likes having the ball in his hands, and he's not really a good defensive player. He's a smaller guy, so him and Curry as a backcourt together is not really going to inspire a lot of defense. It's going to be a lot of scoring, kind of like another Portland situation. But and when. Clay Thompson comes back, it's going to be interesting to see how they would all fit together. I think a lot of people have said that they're probably, he's probably not going to be there very long. And I would tend to agree that I think he's probably there just as an asset and he's going to be there to play and help them get through the time without Thompson. But I think once Clay comes back, I think they're going to move D'Angelo Russell probably at some point for pieces that can help them uh, build around those three players. Cause really it's a building around Clay around Steph and around Draymond. Everything else is just like moving pieces. Yeah, I think. Because they think that that that's their core in terms of winning titles, those three guys. For sure. I think that in terms of roster fit, like you said, it doesn't make a ton of sense. They've already got Steph and Clay. This would be like Splash Brother number three. And you could play laps where Clay is the three for sure. Um, and I know that Clay is going to be out most of the season, so it does make sense for them to acquire some help for Steph because. As as it was, I don't know if they would have been a playoff team had they. Yeah, I don't know, man. Because as it, just as in the East, sure, but in the West, I don't know. If it was just Steph and yeah. Draymond, I don't think that after and getting rid of Livingston and getting rid of Iguodala. Yeah. Well, as it was, Steph was their only scorer. They were probably going to average like ninety some points a game. Yeah, and I, they have a great culture out there, and I think Steve Kerr is a good coach, and they have championship pedigree. But it's going to be interesting to see. Look, the Warriors have one championship without Kevin Durant. We've discussed the Warriors, you know, ad nauseum, and we don't have to go too deep into it. But, you know, yeah, Russell, I think, makes sense for now. And I also think it makes sense for them to have an asset in losing Durant. They ended up doing a double sign-in trade. Yeah. I think it's a lot smarter of them to sign Russell and at least have his contract they can trade than just to lose Durant for nothing. We'll see. You know, I don't think they're title contenders this year, and I don't know. We'll see going forward. They did re-sign Kevon Looney to like a shockingly reasonable yeah, deal. Yeah, he probably should have gotten tw- paid twice what he was paid. Yeah, it's shocking to me. And they also got Willie Cauley-Stein on the ultra cheap. So that'll be a good uh, center pairing in terms of yeah. defensive ability. Because Cauley-Stein might not be doing much as an offensive player in the NBA, but he's still a good defensive player. Yeah, and both you know him going to him going from Sacramento to there is definitely a big cultural change that could help him out. I, I think getting Looney and Clay Stein for cheap are underrated moves. I mean, they, I think, really underpaid both those guys. I think they have real big men now because they haven't, yeah. other than Looney, they really didn't have any other players that they feel like they could play right. in an actual playoff series. I mean, you didn't want to play Bogut. Andrew Bogut or the corpse of Boogie Cousins. So. Right. So we'll see about Golden State. Houston Rockets. Nothing, were, really. Yeah, they made almost no moves. They re-signed Austin Rivers they to a small deal. They might trade for Russell Westbrook. No, they're not going to do that. Let's have all three on the same team. 
Houston's interesting because there's all this movement around them, and they're just, well, okay, we're here, same same team. They wanted Jimmy Butler, but yeah. the Heat, he wanted to go to the Heat. Do you think, would you consider the Rockets one of your top two or three title favorites in the West right now? Um, Probably not, no. I think they would be second, third, or fourth for me in that range. I think, I think they'd they're be just I, outside of that. I think they'd be fourth. I think Denver and Utah are in the similar category. Yeah, I think those two would be up there for me, and I think it also could be either the L.A. teams, which we'll get to. I think the L.A. teams are my number one and two. Um, we can talk about the first L.A. team, not to gloss over Houston, but it's pretty much status quo for them, you know? Yeah. And I think they will have an opportunity because the super team is now no longer there in Golden State. So I do think Houston will have a chance, but Chris Paul got old pretty quick. Yeah. You know, Harden in the playoffs hasn't been as great as he has been they in the regular season. They're not getting along super well. Right. It was, it was the ISO ball was just crazy. He was, yeah. had such a big usage rate last year that can't continue for them to really have a chance. A lot of having, turmoil. Well, they just can't continue if they want to have a realistic offense in the playoffs. That's going right. to get them through rounds. Cause now they don't have the excuse of golden state being in their way. Now it's much more wide open opportunity for them to actually do something. Right. And they've been for the last few years, that second best team in the NBA behind the Warriors. For sure. Um, They'll still have a good roster and a good coach and everything. Yeah. Um, the LA Clippers are, I would Woo! say, I would say, along with the Nets, the Clippers, the biggest winners. I would say, even above the Nets, are the biggest winners of the entire offseason. They paid a they paid a pretty penny though for part so, of their prize. Kawhi Leonard committed to the Clippers as long they as they could get Paul George, and they did. They gave up three of their own first round picks, two very valuable Miami firsts. They gave up a really solid young point guard in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, easy for me to say. They gave up two pick swaps, and they gave up a good player on a decent contract in Danilo Gallinari. It's an insane amount to give up for Paul George. I think you could argue. That's probably too much. I think you could argue it's potentially more than the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis. Oh, I think it is. It's at least in that same category. But I think it is. I mean, it's five first-round picks, a first, a legit first top ten pick from last year. A decent player and two pick swaps. I mean, it's just... I guess it depends on how you feel oh, about Ingram and Lonzo versus yeah. how you feel about SGA. And I think I feel more like SGA is a much bigger asset than those two. I feel like he has shown the potential to be a potential all-star. And to get that for the Thunder and to get someone like that, along with three unprotected first-round picks from the Clippers, two pick swaps from the Clippers specifically. Oh, insane. And then two other first-round picks, including Miami's 2021 unprotected, which has been getting... Fl- pushed around everywhere. That is such a big haul. On top of that, you get a good player on an expiring contract in Neil Gallinari. And like I said, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is someone that could be a potential superstar. And that's someone that you can do a trade, get a trade asset back and then be able to trade Russell Westbrook, which they're going to probably do in the future and create a real rebuilding culture built around him and around another good young player. Yeah. I mean, good for the thunder. I mean, I think, but at the same time, for the Clippers, it gets you Paul George, who's one of the best two-way players in the league and is probably right up there with Kawhi, and now they're both on the same team. And the Clippers still have – they re-signed Patrick Beverly, which we can talk about later. I know you love that. Mm-hmm. And they still have you know, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. They still have a really Landry good Shammett. roster. Yeah, Landry Shamit. They have a great roster. I think right now they are the clear favorite for the title. I don't think – I, think I mean, with, I don't think I anyone's really argue that, right? George, yeah. I mean, you have the yeah. two of the most versatile guys in the league when it comes to defensive ability and offensive, being able to create offense for themselves and where they can shoot. 
It's going to be Paul George, I think, being able to carry the team a lot during the year, too, because Kawhi needs the time to rest, and I think it'll give Paul George a chance to shine like he did this past year with Oklahoma City, where he was a legitimate MVP candidate for a lot of the year. Yeah, it's it's a massive, massive you know move for the Clippers to get Kawhi and Paul George. And I think I, there's a few things about this trade that are really interesting. So I think, first of all, the precedent that was set with the Anthony Davis trade, a lot of people clown the Lakers for that trade, but I think there's a chance that that trade is setting a new precedent for what it takes to get a true superstar level NBA player, especially one that's going to commit to you long-term. And, you know, like, like you said, I think this is arguably more than the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis for Paul George. And I absolutely think it sure is. it was one year of Anthony Davis, but I don't know if this is going to become kind of, you know, the standard, but if so, like, holy crap. I mean, it's a massive, massive haul. And I think for Kawhi, he got, you know, he, he's proven that he can be a number one on championship team with multiple different teams now, two teams. And I think the, the Clippers are looking at this as they're not just trading this for Paul George. They're trading this for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And I think in that context, it makes a lot of – of course it makes sense for them. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to give up too much to get Kawhi and Paul George. I mean, it just – you can give up literally every asset you have. And, and keeping you're just a lot instant of your title contenders. intact. Right. Sham it and the only unfor- Unfortunately, you lose Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but that, that becomes part of the assets that you've collected as the Clippers team that has done that very carefully over the last couple of years. With Doc doing a really good job of really changing the narrative about him, about him someone that – people thought was difficult to handle when it came to rookies. And he's really got a lot of SGA out of of SGA last year when he played and he was starting for them for a while and Landry Shamit. So I think it'll be good for the Clippers, but it's also they're losing a top notch guy and it'll be interesting to see how the team plays with those two behemoths. Well, for the Thunder, I think it's really great. And I, I think that they were the team that traded for a big time guy into a small market. Mm-hmm. They traded for Paul George. They got him to commit long-term. That was like a massive win for them and small market teams all around the NBA. And I think that losing him is a gut punch. But ultimately, I just don't see the Thunder as they were now with Russ and PG as title contenders. And kind of having their hand forced, but still having the wherewithal to fight for more and more and more assets is a really impressive job of negotiation. And they've got such a massive haul from this. It's going to spark their rebuild. And I think it's they're going to have as much, if not more, than any team we've seen in recent memory. You can memory. they have more in the Pelicans already. Right, Re- starting a rebuild, exactly. And I think now it also allows them to trade Russell Westbrook. And I don't think that was that's going to be a good contract late in that contract. I just don't see Russell Westbrook aging really gracefully and it gives them a chance to reset it's an insane amount of money and i think they're going from a team who's paying a fat luxury tax bill for a a seven seed an exciting team but a seven seed and now they can just hit the reset button and i you know it sucks they lost paul george right after they re-signed him only a year after but ultimately i think for the long-term future of the team it's it's a good thing and the the compensation package they got is is immense and that package alone is more than most teams ever have during a rebuild. So good for the yeah. Thunder, you know? Um, 
The Los Angeles Lakers, we know they trade for Anthony Davis. We know they have LeBron James. They re-signed kind of a lot of the, a few of the kind of rotational pieces they had last year, notably Rajon Rondo, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who just has a lifetime contract to get overpaid there, I oh, guess. Yeah. And JaVale McGee. As long as LeBron's there. And that's fine. I think they all got reasonable money. Rondo signed for basically a veteran's minimum, which is, I think, really excellent. KCP's fine. McGee's fine. The Lakers did, missed out on the third free agent, notably Kawhi Leonard or yeah. maybe D'Angelo Russell. But they did re-sign, or excuse me, sign Danny Green, DeMarcus Cousins, Quinn Cook, Avery Bradley, and Jared Dudley. I think the Lakers are a team now that a lot of people are clowning for their offseason. But the contracts they gave out, I think, are all pretty solid contracts for useful players. And I think if you're going to miss out on a star, you know, the Lakers have at least NBA depth now. I mean, they've got, you know, nine or ten guys that are legitimate NBA players night to night. And I think that's yeah. – I think if they would have signed another max guy, you know, they might not have had that. And I would probably still rather have the max guy. But if they're missing out on him, I think they could have done a lot worse. And I think that they're kind of getting clowned just because people hate the Lakers and because Kawhi didn't sign there. But I think they have a solid roster, and I think they're one of my two teams to get out of the West right now. Yeah. Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I mean, like – Yeah. I, I understand that they don't have maybe as good a role players as the Clippers do, but – AD and LeBron, Kawhi and Paul George, those guys are all on the same level there. You know what I mean? Yeah, they could use more shooting at the guard position. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, they have a lot of talented players and they have a lot of guys built around the strengths of Anthony Davis and LeBron. So I think if they can get through the season and they can even just be like a top four seed in the West, I think they can really do a lot of damage, potentially make it out of the Western Conference. The Lakers are a really good team, and the Anthony Davis trade was great. They lost out on Kawhi which meant that they spent let a lot of other people resign. Maybe like someone like Pat Beverly could have benefited them, but he just decided to stay with the Clippers. So it, you're kind of picking and choosing when you wait that long on a star and you lose out. It's kind of a gut punch, but they did a good job at least getting Danny Green. They overpaid him slightly, but, you know, it is what it is. He's like the ideal role player for that team. Though. Yeah. I mean, like really million, ideal. 15 million a year is probably a little rich for him. He's probably more like a 12, 13 million a year guy. But I really don't have a problem with it considering it his it pedigree is. and his fit. It's only And it's um, only two years, so. Right. I mean, the Lakers are going to be a good team this year. They're definitely going to be much improved from last year's team. And they have a lot of veterans that you know can play. And they'll probably get some buyout guys as the season goes along. They'll and they probably all, help them and be legitimate rotation players. They also retain flexibility for the free agency that happens in two years, which is a pretty big free agent year. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the questions with the Lakers are very legitimate. I think it's the coaching staff, which is basically like a bunch of previous head coaches just thrown together and said, work well together. I think that's kind of awkward. Yeah, it's a lot of The front coaches. office is a major question with Rob Palinka. And I think organizational stability in general is, and I also think they don't really have – you know, I think AD is a fantastic player that can carry a team for stretches. They don't really have a second playmaker on this team. Other than, you know, they have LeBron, but I, I just don't know. You know, as LeBron ages here, there's going to, at some point, it's inevitable that some of the workload will have to be taken off of him. And look, yeah, they're gonna maybe, maybe his age, 35 and 36 seasons, he'll be a superstar still because he's LeBron goddamn James. And maybe it won't matter as much. They don't have a secondary ball handler. But. I do think they're going to do some workload management with LeBron. And I do think that, you know, they are missing secondary playmakers. I mean, there are other guys that can handle the ball right now are Rondo and Quinn Cook. Because Danny Green, Avery Bradley, and KCP are not playmakers at all. 
And I think Jared Dudley helps in offense with his passing, but again, you're not running the offense through him. Yeah, he's more of a move-and-shoot guy. Yeah. Still, I, I think they're one of the most fascinating teams in the NBA, and I still think they're absolutely title contenders. Um, the Pelicans are next. We talked about the trade they made with Atlanta and their overall kind of asset building. Um, they also added veterans Derek Favors and J.J. Redick, who I think are – I think it's I think you'll hear the word culture guys used yeah. a lot. That's a good. That's a good, probably a good term for them. Yeah, and it it makes sense for them. I, I think they didn't pay either one of them so much that it hampers their flexibility going forward, or takes a lot of playing time away from young players at those positions. It's just two guys that work hard, are experienced, can be great teachers and mentors, and are also mm-hmm. still good players. And I think it's it just David Griffin. Everything he touches is gold. I mean, it'll be nice for JJ Redick because he'll get to play with. Uh... Zion, and so we'll get to hear him on his from his podcasts that he does on the Ringer. So we'll get to see him with Jay, with a uh, Zion, it, and I mean, yeah, thirteen million a year, good for him. And Derek Favors isn't a good backup option for them to give Zion someone to walk, watch play like uh, up in the post and stuff like that. So the Pelicans, I think, will be a co- team that competes more in like the nine to ten range. I don't think they'll be a playoff team, but you know, I we'll think see. Favors probably starts at center initially because I don't think Jackson Hayes is ready for that. Yeah. But, I mean, again, he's a long defender, and they've got so many of those guys now. And they desperately needed some shooting, and Redick is the best shooter available. They'll be a really good defensive team. It'll, it'll just depend on their shooting because they don't have – other yeah. than Redick, they still they added Redick, but they still don't have a ton of shooting on their team. I think they'll probably finish just short of the playoffs too because they've got a lot of new pieces they're kind of throwing in together. I think they'll probably but finish I don't in know, like man. the high 30s win range. <laughs> I think they've got a chance to win mid-40s. I really do. I think that's their ceiling is like 44 I think their ceiling is 50, and I know it sounds insane, but Zion is generational. Drew Holiday is really good. A lot of the players they have fit in really well together. They have a great culture, good coaching staff. I think it's a year early for them to make the playoffs, but it wouldn't shock me at all if they do, just because of the amount of talent they have on their roster. Yeah. The Thunder we talked about with the Paul George trade, I would say they're obviously not playoff contenders anymore. Yeah. The Trailblazers – are the team that made the surprise run of the Western Conference Finals last year? They didn't really make any market. No, bets, but they, they stayed. They stayed together. They mostly, you know, brought back some depth signings. They got Hassan Whiteside from the Heat. And they trade. Um, they, they also traded for Ken Bazemore. Yeah, and they shipped for yeah Evan Turner. They shipped out and uh, Myers Leonard. So for Portland, they've kept their core intact while also kind of just adjusting the role players a little bit. Um, I, I don't see them as legit Finals contenders, and I. I don't like to say it because I know that they think that's what everyone always says about them, but it's because they haven't made a finals. And well, they don't I, have st- a third I still, guy. Th- I, yeah, I still think they lack the big time upside that a lot of these teams have, and I just don't th- see them competing on the level of the Clippers or maybe even the Lakers. Well, or- I've talked about plenty of times, and I think you have too, about how Kevin Love would be a really good fit for them as a third guy. Yeah, I think so as well. I think there's a lot of teams now that that not to get off on tangent, but. Now that a lot of these moves have happened, I think there's still several teams where Kevin Love makes sense. I mean, I think the Clippers, I think the Blazers. Ooh, that'd be interesting. I think you could George, if you if you if you really want to, you could argue the Pelicans, but probably not because of timeline. I mean, Lakers, sure, why not? I you know imagine him and imagine the your forwards of LeBron Love and Anthony Davis. Yeah, and I don't obviously there's not a lot of assets left there. Yeah. Um, I think you could argue potentially the Nuggets or the Rockets. I'd say the Nuggets would be perfect. And this is the thing about Kevin Love, though, is Kevin Love can fit almost anywhere. I mean, if, if the Heat are going to trade for Russell Westbrook, why not trade for Kevin Love, too? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's an ideal third option. 
Um, the Blazers are status quo for the most part. You know, they've rejiggered some of the role players, but I think they're going to be, you know, kind of what they are, a really good four or five seed that you're going to have to go out and beat them in the playoffs because they're not going to beat themselves. Yeah, I think, but I think the team that improved probably the most in the offseason was probably the Jazz. Yeah, honestly. aside from maybe the Clippers. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, the Clippers are the obvious one, but then you look at Without the Jazz. Without adding stars, you're saying. Yeah, you're looking at yeah. the Jazz. I mean, they they lost Favors, they lost Rubio, and they lost Kyle Korver, but they traded for Mike Conley. They got Bogdanovich. They signed Ed Davis and Emmanuel Moutier. I mean, they have a lot of really good players filling out their NBA rotations, and they added two good players to their starting rotation. Well, definitely upgrades over Favors and Rubio with Conley and Bogdanovich, who are both reliable scorers and – um, Conley's a good playmaker and a pretty good defender for his size. Bogdanovich yeah. is an, a, a good enough defender. He's not elite. He's like above average. I definitely think that Conley is an upgrade over Rubio. Clearly, I mean, it's, and Conley gives some another person that can score other than yeah. Donovan Mitchell, who yeah. can be probably a one A 1A or or one B scorer. He just can't be the sole number one scorer. He just needs someone that can score with him. And he seems like he's like the ideal culture fit there as well. Yeah. Um, I think that losing Favors, they never did figure out how Favors could fit next to Rubio perfectly. They mostly split time at center despite starting together. Well, they'd go. Um, it's because they have Gobert. And right. When you pick between Gobert and, and Favors, obviously you're going to pick Gobert. And that's why I think Bogdanovich makes so sense, so much sense because he can be a four, but he's also a stretch four. He can also be a three too. Exactly. And I, they, I mean, they needed some shooting and scoring and – He's kind of like a, an uber version of Joe Ingles in a sense. Well, they what I think they'll do is they'll be able to uh, stagger minutes. So they'll be able to play Bogdanovich at the three, and then they can play Ingles at the two and have either Conley or Mitchell play out there sometimes if they want to do like beginning of a second quarter or something. Well, they, want, they want to have like Mitchell or Conley sit on the bench. That's the thing about the Jazz is they have a deep, talented roster. Their starting five is really good. I, I, don't, I don't think they have – If I were them, I'd almost do what the Rockets did with the – uh, with their stars for the first time when, for a while, just stagger their minutes. Well, I'm sure those, they will for the most part. And get those two so that way they both can do that. And then at the same time, when they play together, they can play effectively. That's the point. You always have Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley on the floor at the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, they don't have that number one star. I don't. I just don't think Donovan Mitchell is that. I don't think Mike Conley is either. No. But they have – they're almost like the Pacers of the West, except I'd say probably a little bit better. Where they've yeah. just got a bunch of good dudes, a good organization, a good coaching, and they just fit well together. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Snyder's been one of the best and probably under talked and probably least appreciated least appreciated coaches in the league. Oh, he's so, so good. Yeah, he's definitely gotten them to a point where they are now, where they're consistently near fifty win team every year, competing for the playoffs with uh, really a lot of good development. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was a good player, and he probably got underdrafted, but they picked him what just outside the top ten. Yeah. And he became a really good player. They developed Rudy Gobert. They developed a lot of these guys, Joe Ingles. So it's good for the Jazz. I think that if it wasn't for the Clippers getting Kawhi and Paul George, I think you could have argued that Jazz might have had the best team in the West all around. It's going to be fascinating for them to see if they can kind of compete with the star power. Because it's a very different approach, you know? Yeah. Um, other teams in the West, the Spurs did almost nothing except this is what the Spurs do. The Spurs are going to make the playoffs and they're going to give someone a scare. It just yeah, they might win. It seems, a first it seems round like series. it doesn't matter what happens. They're a second they're just, round max yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think first round max. I think they could upset know. a team in the yeah. first round, but then they would definitely lose in the second. The Kings gave out like a whole bunch of money to like veteran role players. players. Not no, they're not terrible players. They just paid a they lot. They buns. paid a premium for kind of team depth and role players, which 
you know, I, I think you, you, could, you could argue the, the Kings aren't going to attract a, a max or star level free agent. So maybe they should just spend money on good players. But yeah, I don't know. I think they overpaid some guys. And I think that they're limiting their flexibility going forward. It's kind of like a Miami Heat-esque type of way to run a team. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Except the Kings aren't getting Jimmy Butler, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the Mavericks re-signed Kristaps Porzingis. You know, they're – the Mavericks – pretty much it. Yeah, the Mavericks are interesting. They don't have a point guard. They re-signed a bunch of their own guys. Hey, they have J.J. Barea, all right? I mean, they have Luka. Luka's yeah. pretty much their point guard. I think the Mavericks are a year or two away from making the playoffs. I think they're going to be a really exciting, fun team, though. Yeah, I mean, I want to see Luca and Kristaps definitely play together. It's going to be interesting to see how they mesh, especially with their different player playing styles. So I'm excited to see the Mavericks play, but they haven't really done much in the offseason. We have one more segment coming up. We're going to go over very briefly what we think our favorite and our least favorite contracts given out are. We will be right back. And we are back to discuss our favorite and least favorite contracts handed out. We're not going to discuss maximum or minimum contracts simply because, you know, basically if, if you have a top player on a max contract, that's going to be your favorite contract. You know, we've got a list of, you know, max level guys that we love the contracts they With got. That being said, there are players that you can like, they got max money that probably didn't deserve much. Sure. That's, yeah. We can discuss those. We're also not going to discuss minimum contracts because there's so many guys. Yeah. Like Rajon Rondo types that are really Jeff Green, that are really solid players that got the minimum. Love and, Jeff Green. And we're going to kind of love all those deals, you know. So we're going to try and discuss only deals that aren't minimum or maximum. Uh, if you want to go first, Graham, who's your favorite contracts? I mean, my favorite contract was probably obviously the big, the biggest one was probably the Malcolm Brogdon contract. You got him for the same price as you got Harrison Barnes. That's, okay, that's my only argument. Yeah, but you, but in compare, if you're not just comparing it to a different player, it's and, a lot, it's a lot of money for a guy who doesn't have massive upside and has had foot problems. But I think I you think again, does, I think you and I disagree on upside there. I think he has massive upside because we've seen that is he can has a. He can shoot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and near 90% from the line while playing very good defense for a championship-level team. He was doing, And he was at some times the second-best player on that Bucks team, if some, and if not the second-best player, the third most important player on that team behind Giannis and Middleton. Yeah, I think, it's, so, I think it's a market value fair contract. I don't love it, don't hate it. Because he's also a young player. He has room to grow. Granted, he does have some injury issue or some injury concerns with his feet, but... I think if Brogdon's able to stay healthy, that contract along with Victor Oladipo, that backcourt is just going to be so scary for some teams because they're going to be so good defensively and be able to shoot from anywhere. Uh, along with that, there's also Patrick Beverly, who got three years 40, which compared to Terry Rogier's contract is amazing. Three years 40 for a guy that can shoot three-pointers at a good clip play really good defense and just be a really good starting point guard that can just harass set, literally yeah, and not, ha- not need the ball in his hands all the time and just be a tough guy on your team. He's like a better, he's like what Marcus Smart aspires to be. Yeah. I mean, going, going to play the Clippers is going to be an unfun experience. I mean, yeah, the Clippers has got a lot of dudes that just, you're not going to score on. Yeah. The, and Beverly is going to be a really tough player. That's someone that's going to be just someone that's really important to that team. And the fact that they got him for, just over thirteen million a year is really impressive. Yeah, and he's a little bit of an older guy, but I think it's pretty. Solid I mean, contract. some people thought he was going to get like fifteen, sixteen a year. So the fact that they got him for under fifteen is—I mean, they got him for less than Jonas Valanciunas. So yeah. I mean, I'll take Patrick Beverly's contract over Jonas Valanciunas. 
And then finally, I love JJ Reddick's contract because A, he went to the Pelicans, and I think that'll be a really fun team to play on. And they got him for like $13 million a year. He made his big money in Philadelphia for that one year. Then he signed for another year. He played there. And now he's going there to New Orleans for a couple years to be a mentor slash starter probably on that team along with Drew Holiday or at least a sixth man to come off the bench and shoot threes and just really fair contract for a guy that's still producing was averaging like 18 points a game this past year for the, for the, uh, for the 76ers. Yeah. I mean, he's aging uh, and he's getting old. In fact, and he's 35, I I think, right. And his stats aren't, you know, big time, but I think for, he was averaging almost 18 a game. I was going to say, I think for fit and need and for kind of organizational culture, I think that's a really great guy to bring on board in that situation. Yeah, he's and he's still a good player. And I mean, it's very reasonable money. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, I, mean I think that's a pretty good deal. You're pairing one of the best shooters in the probably of all time too in in your locker room as well, which could definitely help some of your other guys. My favorite contracts were I liked a lot of the smaller ones. Um Ed Davis to so almost minimum. Ed Davis to the no, 5 million a year. Ed Davis to the Jazz and Jamichael Green staying with the Clippers. Both of those guys got two years, 9.8 million total. I think those guys are both like really good, hardworking, just rock solid backup four or five options. And I think for 5 million each for two years, those are really good deals. Yeah. Um, I think Kevon Looney going back to the Warriors, three years, 15. That was a steal. I mean, I thought he might get like three years, 40 or something. Yeah. I thought he'd get around like 12, 13 a year. Yeah. I couldn't believe, I, I still don't believe how, tiny that contract is i mean i would love to pay looney that much i think he's a guy that doesn't have any one great skill but he's just a solid kind of he's a really guy. he's a pretty good defender and he's a really yeah. good rim running center so i think yeah. he's he's just he'd be solid. Really i think he'd be he's a really good fifth starter i think for a team that has a lot of ball yeah like a ball dominant i mean players. three years 15 for just a solid rotation piece is yeah really good um marcus morris to the spurs two years 19 this deal might actually not be completed it's kind of up in the air um he might be reneging on his kind of contract with Spurs, but if it I don't stands, know where he would go. if it stands, I like that deal a lot. I think he's a really solid like fifth starter. Yeah, um, two years, nineteen is really affordable for him. I like Stanley Johnson at Toronto. It, this this one's borderline minimum. It's two years, seven point four million. The minimum would have been about two million, but I think to get a guy who's a good defender and still has some upside for. Only three and a half million a year is that's a really good pickup for I mean, Toronto. They've done a good job developing. Nick Nurse has definitely done a good, done a good job coaching up players and improving right. their game. I that's mean, what I'm saying. We could definitely the Raptors are definitely still going to be an interesting team because Nick Nurse and that and Masai Ujiri are still there, despite the fact Kawhi Leonard and yep. Danny Green are gone. So, who do you not like for contracts? Uh, well, I said Terry Rozier. That just th- three years, fifty-seven million for a guy that at best is an average starting point guard. It's nothing against him. He's just a, he's a much better backup than he is a starter, and he's getting paid three years, 57. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw Scary Terry in last year's playoffs when he was really, really good and showing starters upside. But then he was Scary and Terry had, in the bat in right. the game when he missed He, every he definitely shot. had a lost year this year playing behind Kyrie. I'm willing to give him a mulligan. I also don't think – I think the situation he's going into, like we said, at Charlotte, they're not going anywhere, so I don't understand the money they gave him either. I'm okay with paying Terry Rozier or something like that. It's like 19 million. But it, yeah, it's just kind of like for them. I don't. Yikes! I don't know what it does unless couldn't they can be me. Them. Yeah, couldn't be me. And then also Terrence Ross. Like, why? Why are you giving him four years, 54 million, like 13 and a half million a year for a guy that at best is like a pre, is like an above average three point shooter and an okay defensive player. 
Like yeah, that's the type of player you give he's like not bad, but that's the type of player you give like seven or eight million to, not yeah. fourteen million to. I think he's a kind of a rich man's version of what you're describing, but not that rich. He's not. He's yeah. he might be worth ten mil. Yeah. I'll give you four years forty. I mean, would you rather four years fifty four? Would you rather pay him or or Danny Green if it was the same amount of money? Danny Green, I would too, and he got. Four years, fifty-four. I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich got four years, seventy-three, and I'd almost and that's worth it more to uh, me. Yeah, me too. To that, yeah. do that. Yep. Yeah, so too. I mean, it's just. I agree on Ross. He's Ross, a fine player, but it's just a lot of money, you know. Yeah, and then I I know he's not a bad player, but Dwayne Deadman for three years, forty, when they already have a lot of big men, just yeah. doesn't really make sense for the Kings. It's kind of a waste of their money. They're spe- they're spending like thirteen million a year on a guy that is going to take away playing time from some of their better, better assets. Yeah. I think like, I kind of makes me think that they're not big. They're not as high on Harry Giles anymore. I think like four years, 40 or like three years, 31, something like that. I just, I don't mind Deadman. He's a good player and I think he would be relatively easy to trade, but I think he's just above that salary where it would make sense for a rotation player. Cause they're paying him like probably a starter. And I don't know if he is that. Well, Sacramento just spent money on so many different guys that are just like very like, solid player, like Corey Joseph. Good, good. Hold on, hey, 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 hey. Oh, it's sorry. my turn. I have I have two Kings players in my contracts. I hate. Give me a chance to shine oh, here. Okay, we can do this together. So, Harrison Barnes, four years, eighty-eight. That's horrible. Is look, Harrison Barnes averaged like seventeen or eighteen points a game in Dallas. But he didn't really do it efficiently. He can't create for others at all. He's not a great you know three-point shooter. You know he's made such good money over his career. He's a good player. You know, I know, he, and he's he, made money he can off score. of being an okay player. He, he can be a decent defender. You know, he's kind of a nice guy or whatever. I mean, it's, he's fine. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a good player, but four years, eighty-eight is just—he's just not that good. I'm sorry, Corey yeah. Joseph. Also, for the Kings, three years, thirty-seven. It's just like. You know, Corey Joseph is fine. He's a fine backup big, uh, backup point guard. But it's just like there's combo guards that are similar you could get for cheaper. I, I know they wanted veterans, but you're paying 22 for Barnes, 13 for Joseph, and 13 they, for Deadman. I mean, they also paid 12 and a half a year for Ariza. You're paying 52 million dollars a year, half of your salary cap for Harrison Barnes, Corey Joseph, Dwayne Deadman, and Trevor Ariza. How does yeah. it feel? Probably not very good. They have De'Aaron Fox. That's their only saving grace. Yeah. De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Yeah. Oh, and Marvin Bagley. Uh, and Marvin Bagley. But still, you don't have to just throw money at people just because you can, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they even gave Rashawn Holmes $5 million. Hey, you do not slander Rashawn Holmes. But, uh, I mean... I want to yeah. say Jabari Parker to the Hawks for two years, 13. It's not the money. I just think that Jabari Parker sucks. I don't understand why they would want him. <laughs> he does suck. Um, he does suck. So Rudy true. Gay back to the Spurs, two years, 32. Like, Why is he getting paid 16 million a year? Like, I, keeping him is fine for the Spurs. It's what they do. But I don't think any team was giving him, like, you think anyone was giving him $10 million? I think he should have gotten like eight. Yeah, I give him like how two about how 16. about four years thirty two or two years? Yeah, I just uh, don't see 16. how about half of what you right. got. And I, maybe I'm like just missing out on Rudy Gay being great or something, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. I don't know. There's just some weird signings that happened, and like some of these players, like Tobias Harris. I'm sorry, he's not worth he's not worth 180 million dollars. But your choice is maxim or let him go, and you got a maxim. No, you, you signed Jimmy Butler and you let him go. Well, maybe Jimmy Butler said you don't want to play there. Well, Jimmy Butler, yeah, Jimmy Butler wants to go to Miami and win. Yeah. 
There were a lot of contracts given out. I think most of them. What about Vucevic and his twenty-five million a year? Yeah, the Hawks are or not the Hawks. The the Magic are paying a lot of money to lock themselves in as a seven seed. Yeah, and they get Terrence. Like I said, Terrence. They get Terrence Ross four years, fifty-four. I what think Knicks. I, I think these GMs get to the situation where they're like, "Look, we're a playoff team. How do I sell my fan base on? We're just moving on from a playoff team, so we don't pay for them." You know what I mean? What do you think of Phoenix finally solving their point guard problems with Ricky Rubio at seventeen million? Yeah, Ricky Rubio's fine, but seventeen million a year. I'd rather pay him that than Corey Joseph. What he got? Would you rather pay Ricky Rubio at seventeen million a year or Patrick Beverly at twelve? I think I'd much rather pay Beverly. I think in a vacuum, Beverly's better. Than I'd him. go. I don't think he is. I, in she a vacuum, is. I'd go Beverly, but they need a ball handler and. You know, he's a lot more of a ball handler than Beverly, and he's younger. So I think for that team, I'd probably go Rubio, but it's a lot of money for Ricky Rubio. It seems like 15 mil right this year became the going rate for NBA free agencies in terms of – For like solid players. Yeah, because Kelly Oubre got 15 mil a year. Bobby Portis got 15 mil a year. Uh, (laughs) The Knicks have like eight power forwards. DeLon Wright got got 14.5 mil a year. Trevor Reza got a lot. J.J. Reddick got a decent amount. Yeah. Like it, a lot of players got like a lot of money for no reason, really. Taj Gibson even got 10 mil a year. <laughs> yeah, that was the one for the Knicks. Where Jonas Valanciunas, like, like we said earlier, made 15 mil a year. The Taj Gibson one for the Knicks was one that made no sense to me. He's like a culture signing, but they have like so many young power forwards now. I don't understand what the yeah, point of Taj I mean, Gibson they did, is. They paid Julius Randle 21 mil a year. I get that there's a team option, but that's still pretty irresponsible. Yeah, I mean, he's... That's like a kid who yeah. buys a PlayStation 4 that was marked at $300 and he bought it for 800 <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I, I He's like, look, but it's really nice, but I can take it back anytime I want. The team option is nice. He's still a young player. He's got upside, but... At $21 mil a year, though, that's Well, they also gave other guys that play his same position a bunch of money. It's kind of just like, what is the purpose of this? And Reggie Bullock. Don't forget Reggie Bullock. Yeah. Reggie Bullock is a nice guy if you're building a playoff contender to kind of fill it out. He's like the back end of a player. Yeah, they're going nowhere. Yeah. The Knicks, perpetually going nowhere. All right, so that's been our massive, about an hour and 45-minute long NBA offseason review. Uh, We're sorry we didn't get some of this stuff done earlier. Been a lot of traveling, uh, heavy work schedules, just been kind of hard to get together, which is an excuse, but such is life. Um, But here's... A massive amount of content. You can make this four different podcasts if you want to. Yeah, for real. Um, we will be back more shortly than we were last time, especially if Russell Westbrook gets traded or some other NBA aftershocks happen. The Browns um, are coming back soon. Training camp is coming back for the Browns at some point here. Next and couple weeks. Graham and Olin will definitely have a soccer podcast on the horizon. Yep. As always, uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Please give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Um, Graham, what's your what's your city out in France? Uh, Roubois. Yes, shout, shout out, out to, to Roubois. Yes, whoever in France is listening to us, which is four percent of our listenership. Yeah, which is more than one person, I think, but it might not be. Yes. I don't know. Just th- thanks for the listens, France. France. We appreciate you. We appreciate the randos in California that listen to us. And shout out to all the Tree City Sports podcast people. Thank you so much for listening. We have Tree City Sports fans everywhere. Uh, don't forget to check out treecityrecords.com. Yeah. And we will talk to you guys next time. Peace. Peace.